So hello, uh, I'm Tudor Oman. I'm one of the uh, pediatric emergency medicine consultants in the Royal Children's Hospital. Um, I've been given the task of talking to you about uh, uh, point of care ultrasound uh, in uh, the stabilization of a patient uh, while waiting for the transfer team. Now, I want to put it out there that I'm no expert in point of care ultrasound. I have a developing interest in it. And I know that many of you who are adult train, trainees or consultants in, in emergency medicine uh, probably use this more frequently uh, in your day-to-day -day practice uh, than I do. Uh, we are introducing it to our emergency department at the minute uh, with an interest in just our nerve blocks, IV access, but also from the point of view of cardiac uh, assessment uh, in our undifferentiated shock patients. Um, so that's what we're going to talk to you about today. I think uh, with the talks about um, using fluid uh, in, in, our, in these children and the increased risk of overloading them, uh, using all the tools that we have available to us uh, is very important. And this is one of the, the tools that we're seeing more and more used uh, uh, in pediatrics. It's a big interest at the minute. There is limited evidence, and I'll go through that a bit, uh, but I think uh, it is a potential tool that we can consider using to help make those decisions uh, when we're not quite sure whether more fluid or more inotrope is necessary or uh, where we're going from a point of view of cardiac arrest and finding out uh, potential reversible causes. So we'll plow on through this. That's my proviso over. And uh, hopefully uh, you've been dazzled by all the science so far uh, or the pharmacology, and this is a bit more airy-fairy, get to show you some videos and have a bit of fun with it, all right? So let's try that. So there's the disclaimer. So what is POCUS? And I think it's important to know this. So we're not doing POCUS because we want to pop a probe on someone's chest and find out what are all the potential cardiac abnormalities this child may have. All right, that's for formal echo. Uh, Point of care ultrasound is asking a specific question. So when you're going, approaching a child and thinking, I'm gonna put this ultrasound probe on them, you have a specific question. Is there a tamponade present here uh, that is causing this hypotension, all right? And you're asking a specific question, looking for a specific answer, you're not going hunting, all right? Uh, it's a tool uh, to make, uh, help you in your decision making, and it's a rule in, not a rule out. So you can't, at the end of your ultrasound scanning, without sufficient training in radiology, say there is nothing going on here that I am concerned about. But what you can do is you can look at it and go, oh, yes, there's a pericardial effusion, or yes, there's a tamponade that then you can act on and treat. If there is still concerns at the end of it, you need to, to get a formal echo. Or if there is concerns that there still might be something going on with the heart, you need a formal study. You cannot assume that your, your, your scan uh, is uh, definitive. Okay, one of the nice things about uh, point of care ultrasound is it's not static. You don't get your CT scan and then that's it. You, you have to sit there and wait. If you've given fluids, you've assessed that the child is fluid uh, um, deplete and you wanna give fluids, after you've given a fluid bolus, you can go back, have another look. Has that made an improvement to your IVC, your right ventricular uh, function? Um, and if so, uh, or if not, then you can consider further fluid boluses or uh, increasing your inotropes, okay? So it's not a static, you can recurrently use it. So that's uh, uh, what is and isn't um, a point of care ultrasound. So from an echo point of view, what are the questions that we can ask uh, when we see a patient uh, with, uh, so firstly in cardiac arrest, um, uh, 
what is what's going on with the heart? Is it on standstill? Is there PEA, pseudo-PEA, um, or VF? Basic question from that point of view. Is there a pericardial effusion? And more importantly, and from the point of view of this course, what I'm going to be pointing out is more the extremes of these situations rather than the minutiae in between, which require you to do uh, calculations of ejection fractions, etc. So this is more, is there a gross abnormality uh, present that needs to be addressed? So from a pericardial effusion, it's not the pericardial effusion you're actually asking, it's whether there's tamponade, whether there's hemodynamic compromise uh, relating to fluid collection around the heart. Okay. Um, what is the global function of the heart? Are the ventricles contracting properly? Are the ventricles of the right size? So left ventricle meant to be larger than the right ventricle. Is that the status quo in this child? Um, is, there, is there good contractility uh, or is there a dilated, poorly functioning heart? Um, and then is there normal preload? So what does the IVC show? Is it collapsing? Uh, is this child fluid deplete? Is there a hyperdynamic uh, right ventricle? Um, uh, or is there a plethoric overfilled IVC uh, with a distended right ventricle, which may indicate that this child's either overloaded or there's an obstructive picture or possibly a pulmonary embolism um, uh, present. So it, it can help you with your differential diagnosis. So the evidence in adults, there's actually quite a lot. Um, this is a very brief summary from an article from an international consensus of uh, focused cardiac ultrasound um, for, um, uh, um, for a number of different uses, and I've just drawn out the ones uh, that we're going to talk about today. So it's sensitive for cardiac injury and trauma, okay, and its use has been shown uh, to, cause, uh, to allow more rapid diagnosis of reversible causes and better survival in trauma patients and adults. Uh, ED uh, consultants or uh, physicians are accurate at diagnosing pericardial effusions, almost to the point where diagnosing physiological fluid around the heart is possible, and that's something that needs to take into consideration when we talk later on. Uh, you can they can accurately characterize left ventricular function and hyper in hypertensive patients, and ED versus cardiologists uh, identify low ejection fraction visually um, uh, with 98.7% sensitivity and 87.9% specificity. Um, ED is comparable to formal echo in obtaining those uh, hemodynamic data such as the ejection fractions and uh, focus can um, uh, be helpful in cardiac arrest. So it's a bit of an iffy statement there. Um, it can be deployed rapidly which is one of the benefits of it. It's at the bedside. You can have it quickly uh, as was mentioned by Chris earlier on when talking about uh, pneumothorax, it's something that you can quickly put on a chest and get a diagnosis uh, or an um, indication as to what may be going on. And it can be repeated. Uh, assessment of IVC in the thorax can help with assessment um, uh, of fluid status and responsiveness in patients with shock. And that is a bit of what we're going to be talking about today. So. In pediatrics, the evidence is a bit more scarce. Um, there's a lot of groups now starting to look at uh, developing training programs, uh, curriculum uh, for the introduction of pediatric uh, uh, point of care ultrasound. Um, but on a survey, I think this is an American study, 61% of em pediatric emergency departments were using uh, point of care with 59% of those specific for um, uh, cardiac applications. 
and uh, fusions being the highest proportion of that, and then 7% for more advanced. There's a whole wide range of things that you can use it for, and we're going to keep it simple for this. Pediatric emergency physicians and uh, critical care physicians, 91% uh, accurate at diagnosing pericardial fusions, cardiac contractility, abnormalities, and LV enlargement. Um, so it's pretty good, but uh, again, limited training needed. Pediatric emergency me medicine uh, physicians are accurate and reliable compared uh, to cardiologists in assessing LV function and probably uh, uh, preload by assessing the IVC. There's very limited evidence in uh, cardiac arrest, although uh, there are now considering it for traumatic cardiac arrest and their use in algorithms uh, for trauma pediatric traumatic cardiac arrest, um, uh, but as yet hasn't sort of reached uh, um, to formal uh, protocols. Um, IVC collapsibility and IVC aortic ratios uh, may correlate to fluid uh, status in children, but again, limited evidence for that. Uh, one study suggested the IVC aortic ratio being the, the better um, judge of fluid status in children. Um, one of the uh, big teachers of point of care ultrasound is uh, sick kids in Toronto. Uh, and uh, one of their um, lecturers would say visualization of it is just as effective at this point in time uh, without the calculations. But um, and what we're talking about here again is the extremes. I'll be showing some pictures of just what the extremes look like and how um, it differs from adults uh, and how a, an extreme collapsible IVC uh, can be reproduced just by doing the study incorrectly in children. So transducers, um, so most people will use uh, POCUS uh, fast scanning in uh, their adult emergency um, rooms. And they use the curvy linear probe. Curvy linear probe can be used for the entire fast and e-fast uh, scan. Um, but you'll probably find in the young children, your probe is much too large uh, to get into the spaces that you require. Uh, and therefore, uh, using uh, the smaller probes, the high frequency probes and cardiac probes can be uh, more advanced, uh, more beneficial in, in getting the views you need. Um, you can use the small curvy linear probes. Uh, you can use the um, phased array probes or microconvex. As long as they're the high frequency, you get pretty good images. Now, there's a bit of controversy. I know a lot of you work in pediatric district general hospitals where you probably do telelink um, uh, echoes with cardiologists in Belfast. And so therefore you have training in which the way, the, the way they like to use the probe, which direction you point the pointer, um, how you flip the image, etc. cetera. Um, the point I'm gonna make here is as long as you know which orientation you're looking at and you know how you're using the probe, it doesn't matter whether you use it from the point of care ultrasound uh, method or the cardiologist method, as long as you know which, which way you're looking at it, okay? Um, so the view we wanted to highlight in this course is the subcostal view. Um, my training, my limited training is the RCHEM uh, level one training, which I did in Birmingham. And I did it in adults and fighting with very obese people, trying to get a view through the liver, pushing down really hard on their abdomen, uh, trying to get in there to get a good view. It doesn't necessarily happen like that in children. They're smaller, there's less fat. Um, and the views when I'm practicing up in ICU uh, is very easy to get 
brilliant pictures in children. Subcostal view, you can pop it on, start at the belly button, flattening it down to the, uh, to the skin and pushing up towards uh, the uh, left shoulder with the probe pointing up to your right shoulder and you'll very easily uh, get a, a, a good view using the liver as an acoustic window. Okay, and what you're seeing here is, was there a pointer? No. What you're seeing here, where is it? There it is. All right, so right ventricle is the closest thing to your view, um, followed by your right atrium uh, beside it, then further away from the liver, the liver being the top at the pointy bit, uh, is your left ventricle and then your left atrium. And in this view, you see your, the four chambers, but you also see your mitral valve and your tricuspid valve. And this is a good view for looking at pericardial effusion. You can see a function of uh, contractility, um, uh, but it's not so great at assessing your chamber sizes um, and uh, parasternal long axes, for example, which I'll show you in a second, is, is much better for function uh, and then your apical four chamber for uh, heart sizes. But from a point of view of an easy view to get and a rapid assessment uh, in an unstable child, this is the easiest view you're going to get. It doesn't interfere with CPR or any other resuscitative measures going on. Um, and uh, it allows uh, um, a view of, of the four chambers. Okay, for getting an IVC view of the aorta and uh, IVC in transection, um, you just lift the probe up to 90 degrees and move it down and you'll see those uh, come into perspective. And normally if you're going to do a measurement, a ratio of those two should be a one-to-one -one ratio uh, for normal. Um, and you do that at the level of the left renal artery, but we're not going to get into that uh, today. The other part of the subcostal view is to rotate at 90 degrees, so the point is pointing up to the neck. Um, and that gives you your uh, longitudinal view of the IVC in which you should see the right atrium pumping in the corner um, and then the IVC coming down with the hepatic vein joining it. And what you're looking for in this is the variability um, in respiration to see how much uh, uh, during respiration the, the IVC collapses. It should be less than 50%. Um, and if it's more than 50%, you're thinking there's fluid uh, depletion or uh, you're under, under hydrated. Okay. Um, other view, parasternal long axis, this is where you'd put your lead two of your ECG on your chest, okay, um, pointing down to your left hip. Uh, and this gives you a view showing your right ventricular outflow tract, uh, your left ventricular outflow tract, uh, your AV valve, um, uh, mitral valve and your left ventricle. Okay, and this is good for looking at uh, function of the heart, but not so good at looking for pleural effusions uh, and tamponade. Um, the reason I mention the two is because obviously if you see any abnormality, it's always better uh, to have at least two views of that abnormality to ensure that you're getting the right diagnosis. And that is in the evidence as well, is that you should have more than one view. However, they do recognize in an unstable child, in an emergency situation, one view may be all that is necessary. Um, okay. Uh, there's the apical four chamber and parasternal short axes as well, um, which you can get, and we're not going to talk much about them. So in arrest, um, the things that you can find out in arrest is whether there's cardiac standstill, whether there's PEA, so some sort of contraction of the heart, organized contraction, 
whether there's output or not, um, or whether there's pseudo-PEA in which there's organized formal, uh, contraction with uh, good contraction of the heart, and maybe you're just not able to feel uh, the pulses. Now, feeling the pulses in children is notoriously difficult, and there's about 73% um, uh, success rate in actually getting a pulse in a child uh, when there should be a, a pulse present. Okay, um, so it can give you a bit more information. VF should not be an indication for doing a point of care ultrasound. Okay, VF is uh, diagnosed on your ECG or your pads on, and you should do nothing to delay uh, formal resuscitation of that child. Okay, so VF is not an indication to do POCUS. Um, if you have uh, asystole or uh, PEA, uh, then during your 10 second uh, break in your CPR, uh, you, it's been shown quite effective to, to pop the probe on and have a look at what is going on with the heart. Um, in children, the evidence is very little, and I don't think I'm going to change my practice based on what I see on uh, putting a probe on at this point in time. Uh, in the traumatic cardiac arrest, uh, if you see standstill um, on uh, ultrasound, um, then it should trigger your traumatic cardiac arrest protocol. And if after resuscitative measures, there's still standstill, that is poor prognosis and you probably is, is one of the indicators that they say that uh, there's futility on, on proceeding. And that's traumatic cardiac arrest. Um, from a point of view of adults, they, the adult literature says that if you see standstill, there's a poor prognosis, it's unlikely uh, to get uh, this, the, the person back. But at the minute, I'm not, not convinced that the evidence is there to adjust my uh, practice based on uh, the echo findings. Now, um, what it does help with, and what we're going on to talk about, is looking at reversible causes uh, for cardiac arrest. Okay? So not just the standstill, not just the VF, um, uh, but whether there is uh, a reversible cause. Sorry. So on the right, asystole, there's no contraction of a heart, and what you see, oh, what you see is the swirling is just the blood in the chambers, okay? And on the left, you can just see some fasciculation of the muscle uh, showing the uh, ventricular fibrillation, okay? Um, so indication tamponade. Now, initially I said pleural effusion, but as I said, pleural effusion is not our question here. We're talking about extremes. We're looking at hemodynamic compromise. What is um, causing our undifferentiated shock at the minute? Okay, so pleural effusion uh, on ultrasound, you can pick up physiological pleural effusion. So we need to, to, to determine how much fluid is there uh, and is this causing compression to the heart and preventing it from beating properly? And then that is something that needs to be dealt with. So tamponade is our question. And I know many of you will think Beck's triad, let's think you can get muffled heart sounds, raised JVP, hypotension. Uh, you can look at the pulse wave and look for pulses paradoxus. You can get an ECG that shows you electrical alternans. And these are all clinical findings that you might find in a person uh, with tamponade. Um, however, in children, uh, the findings aren't always as easy as that. Uh, small necks, huge heads, JVPs can be uh, difficult to assess. Um, and only in about a third of pa adult patients will you actually get um, the classical findings of tamponade. Um, 
before for the diagnosis. So this is a ECG of pericardial fusion. So you can see there's a fluid. This is a, a subcostal view. Uh, there's fluid around the heart, also so encircling the heart. And what you're looking for is whether there's compromise to the right ventricle. So what you get is right, venti right ventricular diastolic collapse. And what you're looking for here is the, the ventricle collapsing down. And then the right atrium uh, often looks like a person is jumping on a trampoline. You'll see tenting in of the right ventricle um, uh, as the valves close. Okay. So you're looking for whether the fluid around the heart is causing hemodynamic compromise. And if so, uh, then you want to, to uh, act on that. Uh, the other thing that ultrasound does is it allows you to uh, perform a procedure uh, a lot more safely uh, than if uh, you were doing it blindly through anatomical markers. Typically going through uh, from the xiphoid uh, up into the heart, you can potentially cause liver damage. Um, and there's a higher risk of complications. Whereas ultrasounds going from a different perspective, you may be able to get to it quicker, aspirate out, and you can see where you are um, uh, easier. So a higher success rate of, of pericardial synthesis. So this is a traumatic um, tamponade with a large clot. Um, obviously, uh, you can see here that there is almost complete right ventricle collapse and the right atrium looks like a loose bag just sort of flapping in the wind. So this person is going to need urgent um, uh, clearance of that clot in order to get uh, um, to, to restore circulation. The other thing you can look at in it is the IVC. If you've got obstruction to right ventricular function, uh, you get backflow of uh, fluid and you can get a distended IVC. Uh, and that's what a plethoric IVC looks like. So your signs of tamponade are your valve closed uh, and right atrium collapse, uh, plethoric IVC with less than 50% variability on respiration, valves open with right ventricular collapse, mitral valve uh, inflow variation of greater than 25%. As I said, if you're looking at minutia, you, can, you should go in and, and measure that. Uh, again, this is looking at one view and uh, looking to see if there's something causing restriction to the heart. Pitfalls, um, if you look at it from the parasternal long axis, which we, we weren't really going to cover today, you can see some epicardial fat uh, that can mimic pleural effusion. Um, and in children, that's less likely to be seen. And again, from this point of view of this course, you're, you're mainly looking for something that's causing hemodynamic compromise and a bit of epicardial fat's not going to do that. Size of effusion doesn't equate to um, hemodynamic compromise. So in adult studies, they've seen that about a less, around 150 mils can cause tamponade, uh, whereas if it's, if, it's, if it's accumulated quickly, whereas if it accumulates over a long period of time, uh, the heart compensates a bit better, and you may not have tamponade even with a large effusion. Sometimes it's difficult to know whether it's pleural or pericardial fluid. And again, I say in the extreme, you'll see signs of tamponade um, if there is a pericardial fusion. If it's a pleural effusion, it doesn't generally encase the entire heart. Um, and you can, if you know what you're doing, you can look at the lung apices to, for, for fluid. Um, and the other thing is to look at it from a different view. 
And if you have a look at it from the parasternal lung axis, um, a pericardial effusion goes between the aorta and the heart, whereas a pleural effusion encompasses the aorta. Okay. So, oh, so this is all about undifferentiated hypertension. Looking at heart function, um, there are measurements that need to be done, um, but there's also shows that just having a global look at what the heart is doing uh, can be uh, helpful as well. So looking at whether there's dysfunction of the ventricles uh, can help you know whether if you're going to continue on with uh, pushing fluids in this child or whether they've actually got a poor functioning heart uh, that's already overfilled um, and maybe inotropic support uh, and urgent cardiology opinion is necessary. So you're looking for wall motion. This is a normal heart. Um, and you can see that the left ventricle, so this is looking at your sub xiphoid, or sorry, subcostal view, liver at the top, right atrium, left ventricle. Left ventricle, oh, thank you. It's only like near the end of my talk. <laughs> um, so left ventricle, right atrium, um, and the, sorry, left ventricle, right ventricle. So you should have a smaller right ventricle than a left ventricle. And you got what you're looking at is septal wall motion and contractility, as well as mitral valve movement. So you've got good mitral valve movement. You've got good pumping of the heart. Um, uh, that's not your cause of hypotension. However, in this one, right vent. Oh, this is a parasternal lung axis. Sorry because that's your left ventricular outflow tract, left ventricle, mitral valve, and uh, right ventricular outflow tract with the liver at the top. Okay, so you've got poor contractility of the heart uh, with poor mitral valve movement, and this is severe left ventricular dysfunction. So again, it's just a global look. If you've seen a normal heart pumping away, and you have a look at a, a distended left ventricle that isn't moving very well with poor mitral valve, that is a concern. Fluid overload in this child probably going to worsen their circumstances. This um, is talking more about the sizes of the chambers. As I said, apical four chamber is more uh, is a better way of looking at the, the comparing the sizes of the different chambers. This is subcostal view. It's a poor window. It's my picture. Um, <laughs> so we're not saying anything more about it. Uh, <laughs> Obviously, I haven't got the depth right. The gain's a bit off. We're not going to talk about it. <laughs> All right. Um, so what we have is the right ventricle, left ventricle. Um, and what we can see here is the right ventricle is much larger than the left ventricle, as well as the septal wall bending into the left ventricle, which shouldn't normally happen. You normally have a higher pressure on the left ventricle, so the ball slightly bends into the right ventricle. So this child has... Uh, dilated right ventricle. And if we had a, the plethoric IVC that I showed you earlier on is a picture from this child. Okay, so it has a distended IVC as well. Okay. Um, this is parasternal lung axis looking at distended um, uh, right ventricle as well, pushing into the... Um, oh, that's not... Yeah, so distended right ventricle, that's meant to be their left, right ventricle outflow tract, um, whereas that's normal, okay? So it's, it's distending, it's pushing in, 
it's much larger than it should be. And that's the picture that you'd probably see in a, a person, an older person, if you're concerned about dyspnea, they've come in with dyspnea, you pop a probe on, you see a distended um, uh, IVC, you see an enlarged right ventricle, one of the concerns you're going to have is a pulmonary embolism. And that's one of your four H's and T's, okay? So if you've got a, a person who's, uh, you're, you're considering four H's and four T's and they've got distended right heart with large IVC, this could be a PE as well, okay? Preload, just briefly, we're looking at fluid status. Um, this is a, one of the children in ICU when I was practicing again shit picture. Um, <laughs> so you've got the, the uh, right ventricle, um, pulse, pulse, sorry, right atrium um, at the top here. You've got your IVC with your hepatic um, vein uh, coming down here. And that's the view you want. And what you're looking at is for respiratory variation here. And what is good about this picture is that it indicates what you don't want to use this for. Right? If you've got a ventilated patient, this is useless. Okay, because you've got increased thoracic pressure uh, and you're not going to see the respiratory variation. All your IVCs are going to look big. So when you're looking for these uh, in these children, it's the unventilated patient uh, you want to have a look at for your IVC. Okay, once they're ventilated, it's going to give you limited information. Okay, um, so IVC is uh, up. Uh, what it does also show you is some of the limitations or the, some of the difficulties in children. Uh, in adults, you need quite a lot of depth to have a look at your IVC. Uh, here, standard depth setting for IVC, and I'm picking up the spine of the child, okay? Um, this is the aorta, uh, IVC, and liver at the top. So I've got the whole depth of that child in one view, okay? So just be aware of that. And one of the things that um, comes along with that, oh, that's the plethoric one again, one of the things that comes along with that, you could be tempted to think that this is a collapsing IVC, underfilled child. But all that is, is me not realizing how much pressure you should add to look at this IVC. So being, having practiced in adults, I come here and I pop the probe on and I'm searching around. I can't find it and eventually I find it and the reason is I'm pushing too hard and I'm collapsing the IVC down. Okay, so in children, just be very careful of the pressure that you're putting on and make sure that what you're, not in, what you're interpreting is not just you intermittently putting pressure on the child. The other limitation that I've found is that this was the first image I got and I thought, yippee, first shot, IVC. Okay, that's the aorta. It's thick walled, okay, it's not collapsing at all. Okay, you've got the right ventricle there. I don't see a hepatic vein entering into my IVC at all. Okay, so I've just got it at the wrong angle, at the wrong place, and what I'm picking up is the aorta. And that's three of the pitfalls of doing IVC assessment in children. So make sure your pressure's okay, that you find your hepatic vein coming into your IVC, um, and then uh, look at it from a point of view of collapsibility um, of, the, um, of the IVC. Now, just eyeballing it, if you've got a good collapsing IVC, uh, you should be able to see that. If you've got a distended IVC, you should be able to see that as well uh, on a child, just as well as you do it in an adult. So what does it mean? Hypertensive and tachycardic patient. Uh, you've got a collapsing IVC, hyperdynamic heart, so the heart's beating uh, uh, really fast or, or, or it seems a bit loose. 
uh, consider fluid challenge and then rescan. Beauty about ultrasound is rescanning can give you more information. If your IVC is normal uh, or you think it's got good variation, less than 50% variation with res respiration and cardiac function seems okay, then consider identropes if you're hypotensive. You don't want to be, uh, as we've talked about, you don't want to be continually pushing fluids into these children uh, with the risk uh, of causing more damage. So it's one of those situations, if they're not dehydrated, uh, if they're not fluid deplete uh, and they're hypertensive, you need to consider bringing their blood pressure up another way. If the IVC has re no respiratory variation or RV is dilated or you've got an enlarged heart, you need to think of other causes of that and maybe, or if, if those are absent, maybe you need to think of inotropic support and cardiac input rather than Flooding, flooding them with more fluid, causing the situation to become worse. Um, I will get to that. Learning, um, learning, uh, RCHEM do a good course, uh, level one, level two ultrasound. What's good about their course is once you've done it, you have to then do a number of scans uh, to show that you're, uh, that you're gaining the competencies. A lot of the other courses don't give you that exposure. So if you're wanting to do that, I, I'd suggest talking with your local ED or your, the consultants there and seeing if there are trainees, uh, trainers around there who are willing to help you sign off on those. It can be quite difficult to get the numbers that you need uh, and it's very adult focused. They look at AAAs, um, uh, cardiac uh, um, and uh, fast scanning as the main, the main things and IV access. Um, the field course is a recess run course looking at um, use in cardiac arrest. Um, Cactus course is a pediatric um, driven course. It's a, I think it's a two day course. It doesn't give you any accreditation, doesn't give you practice, but does talk to you about the, the, the applications of point of care ultrasound and some of the limitations in children. And they're the ones looking at, I think at the minute, at looking at a curriculum for pediatrics. Online, there's a number of different uh, uh, courses that you can do to get the images you need and the, the techniques that you need. So guys, any uh, questions? Keep them simple. I'm simple. <laughs>